Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Let's come before his presence with singing this morning. Let's enter into his courts with praise as we bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stir up our spirit man this morning. Let's stir up our joy as we bring him thanksgiving. Amen. Let's sing and worship the name of Jesus.
love you, Lord. So thankful to know you. So thankful to know what you did on the cross for me and for you. God, we can't thank you enough for all that you've done. There is nothing stronger than the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross. And we just want to pour all our devotion out on you today and thank you for all that you've done for us.
morning in the presence of the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. So good to see all of you. Want to remind all of you youth that we will be having a youth fellowship tonight here on campus five to seven in the gym. Encourage all of our young people to be here to fellowship together. Always such a great time when they meet together. Also want to remind uh, all of you who had gotten a text about the meeting directly after church today will be meeting right in the sanctuary for just a few minutes. Uh, that is for all of the ones that uh, are going to be forming the new teams starting in March. There was a few of the volunteer groups that we had texted out that we need to meet with you just for a few minutes. So if you receive that text, just want to remind you just to hang out in the sanctuary just for a few moments uh, as we just share some information with you. Our missions offering focus today, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor Kevin changed it during the worship. He said, don't go that route. I said, baby, what am I going to do? But the Lord already had a backup plan. I will be honest with you. We were planning on this middle projector went out last uh, Sunday and we borrowed one from another building and had like about an $8,000 expense to replace it because we were told this week that they know it's an older projector. They no longer make it and no longer make the parts for it. And we're going to unexpected need have to buy a new one. But he said, that doesn't matter. God's going to provide. What else did you have? And I said, well, what I was going to do next week, we're going to do this week. And it was brought to our attention by one of the employees at Our Lady of the Lake Children's Hospital that they have an oncology unit there. And they were going to try to see if they would allow us to bring treat bags to those children that are going through cancer treatment. And we got approval this week to be able to do that. So our missions offering focus today is going to be to provide treat bags and just the love of Jesus to those children at Our Lady of the Lake Children's Hospital that have cancer that are receiving chemotherapy and treatment in-house. So we, uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time as we give toward this ministry to bless those children in need. Let's come forward and bring our offering today.
Good morning and welcome to the house of God on this beautiful Lord's Day. Wasn't that a wonderful time of worship today, just the opportunity to come together. I pray that you don't miss these moments and times when we as the sons and daughters of God have the privilege and the responsibility to come and bring glory to God. God has blessed us with an amazing team and every person that you see on this platform is legit a legitimate worshiper, a legitimate lover of God, and I cannot give God glory enough for giving us this team that we can enjoy every week. Amen. <clears throat> and as we were singing that last song, I knew what we were, Pastor Lisa said we were going to talk about this projection. I said, you know what? The babies are on my heart. Children are on my heart today. And that's just really what I wanted. I didn't know she had this thing lined up for next week. And I just want us to pray for our children like never before. Mom and dad, mama, papa, take seriously the responsibility that you have to pour into their life the word of God, to pray for your children to live an example before them. Our children are needing the reality, come on, of Jesus Christ in their life like never before. And we just want to minister as the body of Christ. And I am so blessed that we're going to be able to put our heart and our attention on those babies that are in that hospital going through things that are so maybe overwhelming for them and their parents. We're praying for the grace of God, the peace of God, and the love of Jesus to surround, to, to surround every one of those moms and dads and families and those children. Can I get a witness today? Amen. And so be in prayer for them as well. I was about to start last week a new series. I've been trying to get to it for a month. We're going to give ourselves an eye exam at some point and talk about must-see TV. I know it's corny. Must-see truth visions. We're going to get to that at some point. But the Lord won't let this go in my heart, and that is our need to pray. And so we're going to challenge ourselves again this week on prayer and I can't overemphasize how important it is for us to get revelation and to be stirred in our heart concerning the subject of prayer. I want to begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 6 once again. And my prayer is that you do not grow dull of hearing, hearing this particular verse. Because for me, it is a vision, it is a reality that gives me faith. Let's read it, 2 Kings 6, 17. And Elisha prayed. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man in response to that prayer, and he saw. And you know that he was afraid, because the enemy were gathered all around, and he knew that he would soon be defeated, possibly be killed, certainly taken into captivity. And he was afraid of that vision that he saw with his physical eyes and his heart was beating rapidly. He was feeling real fear. There's a reality in that moment, and all of a sudden, Elijah prays, Lord, open his eyes, and the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, that God's plan for his life was bigger than the, than the devil's plan, that there was a faith vision that was more real than the fear vision. I, want, I said this last week, and I want you to get a hold of this. Listen very carefully. When I'm not seeing, 
I am deceived. When I don't see, I am deceived. When this young man could not see, he was deceived about his life, about God's plan and where his destiny lie and what God was going to do, the good plan, the good purpose that God had for him. He was blinded to it. And the only thing that he could do is walk out fear's false vision. The only thing he could do was either die in that battle that was about to ensue or to be taken into captivity. Die in captivity. Die or oppression. Die in being in bondage. But God's got a greater plan for your life than death. Can I get a witness in the house? God's got a greater plan for your life than bondage, captivity, and oppression. There is a faith vision that you and I must see, and we must grasp and hold on to it. Come on and let that be our reality. And the only way to see it is through our prayer, through our getting in the Spirit and seeing God's plan and purpose for our life. Prayer. What is at stake, by the way? What is at stake? I want to pray before we enter into this most important message today. Father, right now I am praying for myself. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Father God, that I might communicate, that I might have the ear of the learned, the tongue of the learned, Father, that I might communicate to these precious people, God, your plan for their life. And as much as I can know it, Lord, I pray for myself. God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Lord, open their eyes and help them to see beyond a church service, beyond, Lord, another sermon. Let them see something today that they've never seen before. Help your people to pray. Help us understand the importance of it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. What is at stake? What is at stake in our prayer life? You've heard me say many times from this pulpit, and it is actual, it is truth, it is reality, that for every person that you come in contact with every day of your life, the people that you see in Walmart, the people that you walk, work side by side along, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are under the sway of the wicked one. They are living under the control of one that the Bible calls the devil, Lucifer, Satan, the great dragon, the liar. They are living under that influence. How do you know that 2 Corinthians 6, or 2 Corinthians 4 rather, if the good news that we preach, the good news about Jesus, setting us free that we sang about to today, if it is hidden, and it is, if it's hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing, people that cannot see. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. 
And so the people that are around you, your children possibly, your grandchildren, your brother, your mom, your dad, your coworker, your neighbor, whoever it might be who doesn't know the Lord, understand that the reason they aren't saved and don't see any need to get saved is because they can't see. And they're blinded. And there's an active person, there's an adversary that is blinding their eyes. They can't see. So what is our part in this? 1 Timothy 2, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, remember, that means crying out, prayers, intercessions, being that mediator between that person that does not care, that does not see, and knowing that you are in the gap. Prayers, supplications, intercessions, be, and giving of thanks be made for all men because everybody's got a soul around me, and that's a, it's important to me, and they're important to God. For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. Somebody say amen right there. Stop questioning that. Everybody that you know, the guy who's riding his bicycle down the road, he's on drugs, he half the time he doesn't know where he's at. God loves him and desires all men to be saved. That's not God's will for their life. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, men, the man Christ Jesus, that that guy in some moment in time of his sobriety would see that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and him, that only Jesus can save his soul, that only Jesus can deliver him from Satan's plan for his life. Lord, I pray, open his eyes. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility to pray for the lost. And I know we get upset about the things that lost people do, but you know why they do what they do? Because they're lost. And sometimes we're put off by their behavior. But I want to tell you something. Listen to me. You need to stop being like that and understand it is your job and my job as a believer to pray that they would see what they cannot see now. Satan, I bind you off of their life. Satan, I take authority over you and your plan for that person. Open their eyes in the name of Jesus. And you can't save them, but what you do is you get Satan off their back and help them to see so that they can make an informed decision about whether they're going to follow Jesus or not. Does anybody understand that? There's people inside of church buildings all over the place, and they're living in sin. Many of them are not doing the right thing. Many of them would have to say, I am not really walking in the Spirit. I'm really not following the ways of God. I've got some stuff. I've got some junk in my life, and I'm not really living the way I need to. Many people would be described that way and really describe themselves that way. What is at stake, and what is our role in all of this? 2 Timothy 2 and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, argue with people, will not help them. 
but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting them, telling them the truth, though those who are in opposition to the truth. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. If you read the context, it is talking about people inside of the church, people who are either religious and don't know the Lord or people that are saved and yet living a carnal life. And Timothy is describing this person so that they may know the truth, speak to them the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. How many people are like that in the church today? Probably far more than you would ever think or imagine. People who have lost their senses, they need to come back to their senses because they've lost their ability to see. And they can't hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. They've lost their ability to to taste and have discretion and discernment about what's going on in their life and what Satan is doing in their life. They can't, they're past feeling. They've put their conscience aside and and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and there they are, and they're not living by their spiritual senses anymore. They've been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. It's happening quite a bit in the church today. What is our responsibility? To get frustrated, to get discouraged, to kick them to the curb? What is our responsibility anyway as a child of God? 1 John 5, 16, if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning, is it possible to be a Christian and sin? Is it possible to see a Christian brother or sister that is sinning. Yes. Unfortunately, when you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. You should do what? You should do what? Talk about them. Gossip about them. Get mad at them. Get frustrated with them. Pray. You should pray, and God will give that person life. Is anybody flowing with me? What's at stake? What is my responsibility? What is my prayer life? You know, what's... What's the deal anyway? What's the big deal? Much. Lost people will never see without our prayer. Backslidden people will never see the truth and come to their senses without our prayer. And God is waiting on our prayer. Don't ask me to explain it all. I don't know. God is waiting on our prayer to give them life and help them come to their senses and see their ways and come back to the Lord's house. Somebody say amen if you understand where I'm going. And then there's some of you in this room today that you wouldn't be characterized in that way. You're living for God with all your heart. You're doing the best you can. You make mistakes. 
You fumble around a little bit. Every now and then you make a false step. You got to back up. You got to get that thing right. But you know what? You're walking in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus cleansed you from all your sin. You have fellowship with one another. You have fellowship and God's blessing your life. But is there anybody in this room that would dare stand to their feet today and go, you know what? I am blessed. I have obeyed God. I have been serving God my whole life. And I want to tell you the blessings of God are all around my life. And I am so wonderful. And I want to tell you, it wasn't because anybody prayed for me. Would anybody dare to say such a thing? Has it ever entered your heart that the reason you are who you are today and the reason you are where you are today is because somebody prayed for you? Somebody prayed for me. And I know something. Listen, if the world, if the whole world goes nuts, I know there's a little lady right there who's always praying for her husband. And who knows what she's kept me from in my life Who knows how she has short-circuited a scheme of the enemy? Who knows how you prayed for your children and prayed for one another? Even the Apostle Paul, the great, or Apostle Peter, we've been talking about it. Remember last week in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan has asked asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I have what? Prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter does not make it without Jesus praying for him. His faith fails. He goes in the way of destruction with Judas. Somebody prayed. That song keeps coming to my mind. I don't know why. They're living out their life in the New Testament. Peter is arrested. He's thrown in the dungeon. They're going to kill him just like they did James. Everybody was so excited that Herod, you know, killed James, and Herod said, you know, this is how I'm going to win the favor of the Jews. I'm going to kill Peter too. Let's arrest him. But in that night, as he is laying there, chained, no way out, facing death, facing Satan's plan of destruction for his life, the Bible said, but constant prayer was made for Peter by the church. And as they're praying, and let me just tell you something, it wasn't perfect prayer from perfect people. They start praying, and all of a sudden, the angel comes. Come on. An angel has been dispatched into that prison cell, and the chains are falling off, and and the angel gets him up, and the doors begin to open up. He's out in the street before he even knows the reality of what just happened. He goes back to Rhoda's house. He knocks on the door. God has set him free. Jesus set him free. Prayer set him him free. They answer the door. And Rhoda goes. She slams it in his face. She runs into the room. Hey, Peter's here. Peter's here. And they said, oh, you're mistaken. That's his ghost. He's got to be dead by now. It wasn't perfect prayer from perfect people. But how many of you are thankful today that God will hear imperfect prayer from imperfect people and still accomplish what he desires in our lives. Can I get a witness in the house? No wonder, you know, when I was in Sunday school back in the day and we had little contests of who could memorize the most scriptures and 
you know, me and a couple of other smart aleck kids, we knew, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna strategize here. And so we found, you know, the verse that said, Jesus wept. When we would recite our scriptures, we would, you know, go through our two or three or four little quick easy ones, you know what I'm saying? And I remember distinctly calling out, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, or actually 16 first, rejoice always. Two, then I say, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. I won that little contest, but I didn't have a clue on what I was saying. When the Holy Ghost looks at me and looks at you as children of God and says, pray without ceasing. Does that mean never say in Jesus' name? And in the prayer, do we just keep it open-ended? Could be. You know, lovers, they, they, they tell me they would, back in the day, they would leave their phone off the hook, you know, and this one's living at this house, and this one's living at this house. Now they're in the same house. But back in the day, they would stay separated, and they would leave their phone off the hook on the bed, and they would, wouldn't hang up, right? They would just stay in that communication. And I want to tell you, I don't know how it all goes, but never hang up on Jesus, just keep the phone beside you, amen, that at any moment you are in connection with heaven and the Spirit of God. But more than anything, what it means is maintain a lifestyle of prayer. Maintain a lifestyle of prayer. And you know in this room today, is that my lifestyle to pray? I don't know. But I want to tell you, there's much at stake for your life and those people around you. Maintain a lifestyle of prayer. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, and men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You think Jesus knows some things that we don't know. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Why would he say, don't lose heart, guys? Because it's easy to lose heart. You know, if I could look at your prayer life, and you were one of those people, man, you're getting your prayers answered. Somebody would come to you and say, hey, my neighbor's lost. They don't know the Lord. They're driving me insane. But rather than getting so aggravated with them, I'm just going to start praying for them that they see and come to Jesus. Would you pray for us? And you would. And within a day or two, every time, always inside of a week, that neighbor would come and knock on your door and say, Sir, what must I do to be saved? I'm sorry for my sin against God and my sin before you. I want to know the Jesus that you know. I want to confess my sins. I want to let the blood of Jesus wash my sins away. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you prayed, and it happened. Are you at work, and the people around you, and some of the debauchery, and 
heathenistic practices that your ears are hearing all the time and your eyes are seeing and the stories they're telling and it is grieving your heart. What if I could call you because you're that guy and you could just pray? I could eat lunch with you and you could walk around my office building and all of a sudden inside of a week the whole The whole building is falling on their knees, repenting of their sin, and crying out to God to be saved. I had a wayward child, and they're breaking my heart in two, and no man knows the pain that I'm feeling due to the separation spiritually between me and this child. And my heart is gripped with pain that no man could ever comprehend. Come pray for me. In a day or two, Always inside of a week, all of a sudden, the prodigal comes home. He knocks on the door. Forgive me, Dad. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to eat at your table. I am so sorry I've sinned against God and before you as well, and I am here to repent and get my life right with God. Pray for all who in authority. Everybody's up said about the politicians and the judges and the lawmakers and the president and this and that and so forth and so on. Such that sometime we can't even watch the news, but what if I could call you up and what if I could send you to Washington? What if you could just take some laps around? Come on, the White House. What if you could take some laps around the legislative sessions that are going on? The Supreme Court. And all of a sudden, people have a fear of God in their life, and they're turning back to God, and they're saying, you know what, we're going to be a nation that honors God in all that we do. Let me ask you a question. If you were like that, would you be motivated to pray? If you could go down to the hospital right now, or, or the hospital... at St. Jude's and those babies and the things that they're... If you could just go through those rooms and see the heartache and the the fear and overwhelmed in every way emotionally and you could just go in there and say in the name of Jesus you're healed in the name of Jesus you're healed and it would be done would you be motivated to pray we couldn't hold you back you'd be praying all over the place And I'm going to be honest with you, you would be number one staff here at Eagle Heights. We would ship you all over the country and all over the world because your prayers are answered within a week. I want to get very real with you right now. Not only is it not like that at all, but many times encouraging results are few and very far between. Especially during times like these that we are living in when people are turning away from the truth and lawlessness is abounding, it is very easy to get discouraged and lose heart when you pray. Can I get one honest believer out there right now and say, you're right, pastor? Amen. I prayed. I have. I've, I've, inter- I've done all I know to do. And, 
I saw this bright spot. I saw this guy at work, and man, he, he came to church with me, and he gave his life, and he got baptized. I was so excited, and all of a sudden, two weeks, and he fell away, and he's back out there in the world, and I just don't have the fervency and the faith to keep subjecting myself to this. And you know, in my life, you know, I've got a photo album in my spirit. One of those photo albums is Elijah praying for that young man. I've got that that picture in my heart that helps me to understand when I need it most. Another one of those photos is Elijah back in the Old Testament. In relating to him as he is on this roller coaster of a ride called Faith in God. And watching him on the upside of the wave and the downside of the wave, the turbulence, it helps me. The people were not serving God, they had turned their back on God. And God is using this man, using this prophet, and he prays. As God has instructed him to pray that it stop raining, that famine would come, drought would come, then famine would come, and people would get desperate and see their need to turn to God. And he prayed, and it didn't rain. And in this flow of being used of God, I, I pray that you understand what I'm saying and you felt it and you've been there in this flow of hearing and doing and responding to God's voice in your life. There's no water, but go over there by that brook and I'm going to give you drink there and I'm going to feed you with the ravens. And so he goes. And the brook dried up, no problem. Another word came to him, listen, I've commanded a widow at Zarephath to go over there, and he's, she's going to take care of you. And she went over there, and I wish I could preach that detail right now. A miracle occurs. Putting others first. Make me one first. The prophet wasn't trying to be selfish. The prophet was trying to plug into a spiritual principle that if you give first and you lay down your life first, God will meet all of your needs. And until this drought ends and this famine ends, that jar of oil and that flour in the bin will not be used up. And so it was. That little boy that she was trying to gather sticks to make him a biscuit, he died. Word got to Elijah, he came and he laid out on that child, and he poured out his soul on that child, and he prayed to God. And all of a sudden, a warmth came into that child's body, and there was a pulse surging through his body, and he came back to life, and God had answered prayer again. He goes to the king under the instruction of the Lord, and Israel is gathered together, and they're going to have a contest. You know the story well, and who's ever God answers by fire. Let me just say this to you. These are not what we would call outside lost people, so to speak. These were God's people. These were, this was his chosen. This was the special treasure of his heart, the apple of his eye, the people of God. And yet they were serving Baal sometimes and another God and serving themselves and the world. And sometimes they would serve God and they were trying to keep this thing 
going until Elijah stepped up in the middle and said, how long will you falter between two gods? If God be God, serve him with all of your heart. If Baal is your God, then serve him. But we've got to stop muddying the water. God wants a pure, holy people after his heart. And so if they have the contest and the prophets of Baal go first, and you know they are the sacrifices there, who whatever God answers by fire, he's the one true God. And so they're jumping around the altar, they're cutting themselves, and they're crying out, and they're praying to God. And the Bible said, but no voice was heard, no one paid attention. And then it's Elijah's turn, and he prays a simple prayer from his heart, say, God, I'm out on a limb here. It's not about me, but God, I want them people to see, Lord, that you are turning their heart back to you. And God, I put, I put us out there, Lord. We, we need you to respond by fire, God. And he prays that simple prayer, and guess what heaven did? Heaven sent down fire, boom, lapped up the took up the sacrifice, laughed up the water that had been poured around it. A miracle occurs and the people shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And when that happens, Elijah knows there's a promise. When the people turn back to God, listen to me, God's going to send the rain. God's going to send the rain. So he goes up on the mountain, you remember, and he's praying for rain. Now listen to me very carefully here. He prays. He was a contortionist, by the way. How do you know that? Because he put his head between his knees. I don't know how he pulled that one off, but he did. And he prayed. And he looked at his servant, go and see what you see. And the guy runs out, but there's nothing to report. He runs back to Elijah. There is nothing. Elijah didn't go, you know what? Well, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. My prayers aren't effective. I don't know. No, no, no. He is on fire. He is full of faith. He has seen the faith vision. And he goes, go again. And he goes again two times, three times. There is nothing. Four times, five times, six times, seven times. Seven times. <laughs> I'm left-handed. I'm real weird about stuff like that. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. He prayed as many times as necessary to see the promise of God be fulfilled in his life and in the people of God. He wasn't going to stop short because he knew he had a vision of what God was going to do. And God sent a heavy rain, a heavy rain. He tells Ahab, get in the chariot. We've got to go back to Jezreel. This heavy rain, the clouds, it's going to be bad lightning. It's going to be rough. Let's go. We've got to stay ahead of the rain. The Bible says the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he outran horses some 13 miles back to Jezreel. He is full of the Holy Ghost. He is full of faith. His prayers are working, and everything is just so right in his life, and God is moving in the people, and I am so thrilled. Until he got back to Jezreel, something unexpected happened. Something he wasn't looking for. Jezebel, 
who is a usurper of authority. She is the contender of all that is Christ. Confronts him and says, listen, you killed my prophets yesterday and I'm going to kill you. And that message got back to him. And I want to be honest with you. Elijah literally lost every ounce of strength and lost sight of his calling, lost sight of the faithfulness of God, lost sight of the vision. He lost his desire to love the servant who had so faithfully served him. He says, stay here. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And he goes back to the mountain of Horeb, that place where he first met God, and he's trying to recapture those feelings, recapture that moment, and he is so disoriented. Like you and like me, like we get sometimes. God's sustaining him because he is genuine. And the angel comes and gives him some water and food. He went 40 days and he's at the mountain and he finds a cave and he goes into the cave. He starts praying a little bit, talking to God a little bit. He says, God, I've been so zealous for you. I've been trying to serve you my whole life. I'm up there preaching, and it was a false finish line. I thought we had revival. God, I just can't do it anymore. I'm the only one left. Nobody else, nobody else anywhere is going after your heart. Prayer, fear, and God intervenes. And you know that God sent a great wind into that mountain and tore the rocks. But God wasn't in the wind. And God sent an earthquake and shook him up. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then God sent a great fire and God wasn't in the fire. And then a still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? I can only tell you what revelation I have. Why? Why the wind? Why the earthquake? Why the fire? Because God was saying, listen to me, you are, your world is being rocked right now. Your emotions are being rocked right now. And you are placating to those emotions. And you are following a false vision. I want to tell you, I am not in the hustle bustle, riotous waves of the world and your emotional life. I'm not in any of that. I'm in that still small voice saying, here is the way, walk ye in it. He contends again with the Lord, I'm the only one left. And he said, listen to me, there's seven thousand people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Maybe you're not side by side with one of them. Maybe you don't know their address, their phone number, what their face looks like. You don't know them, but I'm going to tell you, I always have a remnant, and you need to know you are never alone in the body of Christ or in the kingdom of God. 
And I was a young man. I thought, 7,000 people. Woo-hoo-hoo. You know what 7,000 people is? Really nothing. If you were to Google what the population of Israel back in the day, you've got all kind of places, all kind of numbers and this and that. And, you know, the thousands that they talked about it. You know, that wasn't, the word doesn't have to be found. I'm not going to go on in all that. I'm going to give you the most conservative, conservative population numbers. And you can do that because the Bible starts in these genealogies. It gives us, as a number of the people, you can get some good hard numbers. You know what 7,000 people were compared to the population of Israel? 2%. Two out of a hundred. Not two out of a hundred lost people make no claim to God. Two people out of people who claim to know God. Two. That's 20 out of a thousand. That's 2,000 out of a hundred thousand people. That must have been disheartening. But the point was, Elijah, you're throwing in the towel, and those 7,000 people need you, 2% or no. I've got three people in God's names and that you need to anoint right now. I'm looking at you. Get out of this cave. Get over there. Lick your wounds. Do whatever you got to do. Get up out of here. I need you to pray. I need you to preach. If you don't pray... If you don't anoint, if you don't preach, then there will be a discontinuation of my plan and purpose for the nation of Israel. I was watching 60 Minutes the other night. I don't watch it often. The other night it had like three good stories on and I watched it, you know. I like that feeling. Oh, good. 60 minutes is on. Now it's so political, whatever, whatever. But back in the day, there was this one story that since the pandemic, they were talking about healthcare workers leaving the job. 400,000 healthcare workers have left and walked off the job since the pandemic started. People with 20 years, 25 years, doctors with 30 years are saying, I had enough. And walked off the job. The young, precious little nurse that was interviewing said, right now, right now, as we do this interview, there's only 10 workers in ER, 10 nurses and doctors in, in ER, which is a far, far, far cry from what it used to be and what it needs to be. And there's 71 patients in ER right now. And there's 19 out there in the waiting room waiting to be seen. And they were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. I want to tell you what people are doing right now. We're walking off the job. Teachers, policemen, healthcare workers, they're tired of it. 
I'm tired of it. She said, listen, the other day I got cursed out because I put a needle in somebody's arm and they're telling me I'm putting chips in them. She said, the first time when I became a nurse and went home and cried to my mom, I got cursed out for the first time. She said, now I just let them curse me out and I just keep doing my job. And I want to tell you, saints of God, there's a lot of people out in the emergency room right now. There's a lot of people out there in rooms and they need not care for their body, they need care for their soul. You can't walk off the job. You can't stop praying, mommy and daddy. You can't stop praying, mama. You can't stop laying down your life for the body. There's too much at stake, and you and our, you, you and I, listen to me. I had this thing around our house. If, if I'm not a part of the problem or the solution, don't tell me nothing about it. I'm not going to sit around and talk about stuff that oppresses me, and there's nothing whatsoever I can do about it. Isn't that, you think that's a Holy Spirit thing? Those things that are true, noble, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I'm not listening to evil reports. And maybe you're sitting out there you did today and you say, you know what, I don't want to hear all this, Pastor Kevin, you know, because I'm not a part of the problem or the solution. Well, you're wrong there because most of the time you're a part of the problem and you are always a part of the solution. You and I, the people of God, are always the solution to what ails a nation, ails a church, ails a family, ails a friend. You and I are the solution. Can I get three amens right there? We are the solution. James, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Somebody needs healing around you. And I'm sorry that you prayed for 98 of them and it did no good. But if you adopt that mentality, you're going to miss the two that are hanging on your prayers and the need for you to love them and embrace them and lay your life down for them. I used to get so condemned when I first became a minister. I was so full of love. You heard the stories of log trucks, waving at the log trucks and the way they were. You've heard all that. I would get so condemned, people trying to panhandle. And I said, Lord, I just, you know, if you shut up your ears to the poor, so forth and so on. I would just get so confused about what to do. Lord, I want to help people. And here's this person here, whatever. And one day I'm driving down 51 and in front of Black Cat, there's a Spanish guy on the side of the road. And the Holy Spirit said, pick him up. And I did. And I introduced myself. And he spoke broken English. My name is Isabel. Never forget him as long as I live. And I'm telling you, I said, Lord, here's an angel unawares here. And I'm going to pour out my life, and I'm going to do to give, and I'm going to, and I'm telling you, he didn't really want to settle down the way he used to stay back when there was trees. When you exit off 55 there on 190, you know, down that circle, there was trees up in there. He would live there or under a bridge, and they meet. And I would bring him food. I put him up in a hotel room a couple times, and this went on, and the Lord is. You know, this is my assignment, Lord, and 
I had a little shed in my backyard. had some woodworking tools in it. It was a 12 by 24. I expanded it to 24 by 24. I said, I'm just going to get rid of these tools, and I'm going to make a little bed. And I was on the road back in that day. I can't put him in my house because my, my wife and my kids, I, just, I don't know him that well. And so I was going to put him up in the backyard. And I'm getting, getting all these plans together of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to minister to him, so forth and so on. Like I said, he just wanted to be outside. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand that mentality at all. But I'd gather up my new stuff, not my old socks, my new socks, my new T-shirts. Even gave him a couple pair of underwear I never wore before. I'd get on Tickfall, I'd get on 55, I'd go down, I didn't have no ward line back in the day, and I'd exit down there, I'd, I'd get off the side of the road, I'd say, Isabel! Isabel! She'd come strolling out of those woods, and I had all my clothes and all the things I would give, and literally this is what he did. Attitude. I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating. I said, well, Lord, you know, if I'm in that position, I don't. So I just sucked it up, moved on, and when got him again, I said, we're going down to lie user. We're going to try to get you a job. And uh, going down 55, and we're talking about it and whatever, and obviously he, he shows me his hand, and he goes, I can't work. I looked at his hand, I didn't see nothing on his hand, nothing at all. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. In that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart, drive down to Amid and drop him off at the bridge and never feel condemned again because, Kevin, there are certain people that don't want your help. There are certain people that don't want my help and certainly not going to change because they don't want your help. And I won't be real honest with you. Last time I was out of town, on every corner... Now hiring, now hiring, now hiring, now hiring, now hiring, now. And there's, there's two, there's a couple out there, about in their mid-30s out there, walking around, you know, healthy and so forth and so on. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, it angers me to watch a well-bodied man and woman sit out there. And you know what people do? They'll roll down their window and they'll throw $5 and $2 and $10, whatever, in that bucket. And I want to tell you what you're doing, person. You're sending them to hell. If you want to invest, sit them, go, go sit down beside them and talk them through and share the truth with them. And there's a lot of things out there that's crazy. I got taken in Hattiesburg about a month ago. <laughs> you know why I got taken? Because this one thing. If 98 people are thieves and robbers, and out of order, and they don't want to have nothing to do with the truth, you better not miss those two. You better not miss those two because you, you are still on the job. You are still that person that I am going to use to bless, minister, give, love, show the love of Jesus. And if you did, just walk off the job, you're going to miss your appointment. And it might be that one day I say, I was hungry and you gave me no food. When? When you didn't. Come on. You understand what I'm saying today? 
What I'm telling you is stop letting the majority of people in this world discourage you, dishearten you, cause you to stop praying, stop preaching, stop loving, stop serving. Stop it because there's always somebody. Jesus is still building the church. Come on, somebody. Jesus is still building the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I better not let the majority discourage me, Justin, Josh. You know why I'm still preaching? Because there was times when I was going through it and all of a sudden somebody write me a letter to tell me their story of abuse and abandonment. Say, Pastor Kevin, you're a father figure in my life and you're the only stability I have in my life. And I want to tell you, there's a couple of times and I want to tell you, God broke me down in a way that you could never understand. And he said, you are not pastoring religious people. You are pastoring remnant people. And there's always a 7,000. There's always a 2. There's always a 20. There's always a 2,000 among the 100,000 that you better lay your life down because I'm holding you responsible for what you do in their life. Can somebody wave at me? What's at stake? What's at stake, Alex? What's, what's at stake? Not only are the patients in that room going to die because I'm not there helping and supporting, but I am literally breaking the heart and killing that individual that I'm supposed to be hooked up with, working together, and they're dying and they're disheartened, and they're discouraged, and they're overwhelmed because I'm not on the scene. Let me tell you, healthcare workers, Luke, you guys, thank y'all. Thank y'all for staying faithful and true. How many nurses and healthcare workers? Aaron, I see Aaron. Anybody else? Mary, Missy, Mary. She, she was married for nine years of my life. She, you, you pulled a fast one on me, by the way. Bless your heart. How many of you know health care is important? How many of you know soul care is another level? Come on, somebody. Go pray. Don't be religious. Don't do all that. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. He's going to meet you there. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. That means nobody knows what I'm doing. What's Papa doing? He's in his shop. I got a little sign I'm putting up now that says, Papa's praying. Don't rattle the door. Don't knock at it. Don't scream. Don't make noise. Papa's praying. Nobody knows what I'm saying. Nobody knows, but God does. And God goes, I see what you're doing in the secret place, and I'm going to reward you in open places. People are going to be blessed as a result of your time along with God. I want to tell you something. The other day I got gas at On the Run. You ever been there? Pretty cool place. Man, you can get a cup of coffee in there, Glenn, right? And they got these little rotisserie things where the hot dogs just kind of roll. It's God. 
I'm going to tell you what, it takes everything. She won't let me have one. I've never had one. But those brats and the cheese-filled hot dog. I've been fasting. I, oh, God, help me. We've got to get out of here. Uh, you can get your hot dog. You can, you can, you can feed, feed, your, feed your body. Amen. You can go out there and pump some gas in your car. And you, you, can, you can fuel your car on the run. But you can't fuel your soul on the run. And I know, country boy, I know you. Well, bless God, you know, you get up and you drink your coffee, black man. You like that hickory, chicory, whatever you call that stuff, and you didn't like it. You don't want no creamer, bless God. You ain't got no sweetener. Bless God, my pappy didn't drink, my grandpappy didn't drink. I, I, I got you. You roll out and crawl up in your truck, kick the can out the bottom of it, and come on, somebody, put your hat on. Ain't shaved, ain't bathed, ain't nothing. Go off to work, and you're just so tough and rough. I'm going to tell you, tough and rough, you better learn how to pray. Some of you are turning red. You know I'm talking about you, right? <laughs> Let's stand to our feet. My prayers ain't going nowhere. My prayers ain't doing no good. Let me tell you what the Lord showed me. In Revelation, you ever read Revelation 4, the throne room of God where there's thunderings and lightnings and rainbows and see and all these things and the glory of Jesus and everything is so, whoa, the throne room. Put up that little verse, Revelation 4. I threw and they thought I was done. Revelation 4. Now, when he had taken the scroll, Jesus was the only one worthy to take the scroll. It was written front and back, the redemptive plan of God. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In the middle of the lightnings and thunderings are bowls, and the prayers of the saints are there in those bowls. Go to Revelation 8, the unfolding of the redemptive plan of God. It was written up front and back. This is my revelation. You can argue with it. It doesn't matter. On one side is, 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 the, is the story of the redemption, the redeemed. On the back side is the judgment that will come against mankind who didn't trust in God. There's a little something to that because Revelation 8, we see an angel. The trumpet bowls are about to occur. God is pouring out his wrath and trying one last time to get the attention of those people on the earth. The angel has the bowl of in, and much incense was given to him. And the prayer mixed with the prayer of the saints. And that smoke rose up before the throne of God, which is so precious to the Lord. Your prayers are so precious to the Lord. But then something else happens. He took some fire from the altar, mix it with the incense, mix it with the prayer of the saints, and he took that, that fiery incense burner filled with the prayers of the saints, and he threw it down to the earth. And the angels started sounding judgment upon the earth. What does that mean? How does that help you, Pastor Kevin? Listen to me very carefully. Every time you pray, 
Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done. Lord, push back the darkness. Lord, turn this world. Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified in my life. Jesus, save the lost. Every time you prayed a prayer in faith according to the will of God, whether you saw the answer or not, it's been put in that bowl. Can I get a witness in the house today? You know how Jesus said, you know how Jesus said, listen to me, even if you get a cup of cold water, listen, you will by no means lose your reward. Remember Jesus said that? You have never, ever given anything to Jesus that went unnoticed, forgotten, and will not be rewarded. Is that true? The same thing is true of prayer. You have never prayed a prayer in faith, according to the will of God, that went unnoticed, forgotten, it will not be utilized and rewarded in heaven. And I know you're praying for that person and they died. What you don't understand is that that prayer is going to be answered. Maybe not in your timeline, but I want to tell you, there's coming a day when that person, amen, is going to walk the streets of gold with brand new legs, brand new arms, come on, brand new body, and they're going to be healed. And there's going to be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying for the former things that passed away. Your prayers got answered just not when you thought they would. I'm done. If you know you need to pray, just do this. Oh, God, help us to pray. Help us to learn. You get in that closet, don't you dare think, you know, this is a waste of time to say this. Don't you dare. It might be a waste of time for the 98, but it ain't a waste of time for the two. Anybody feel this right here? You feel that? Thank you, Lord. Team, would you come up? If you're in this building today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, is there anybody in this room today who would say, I wish I wouldn't have got saved. Stupidest thing I ever did. Anybody out there? Anybody out there today that would say, I wish I would have got saved sooner? I wish I wish I could have got saved when I was five or six. I made sure. I wish. Does anybody out there just want to throw your salvation away because it means nothing? Listen to me. Whoever you are out there, you're debating with the enemy. The enemy's trying to lie to you. He's got a veil covering your heart. Just throw it off right now and say, Devil, you're a liar. Devil, you're a liar. Devil, you're a liar. God's got a plan for my life, and I see it right now. And I'm going to go, and I'm getting my sins washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I'm going to live my life for Jesus because God has got good things in store for me. Don't get religious. Pray right now. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. I've been on cloud nine all week. I'm not kidding. Just in a sweet time of prayer. When you get in those places, in that secret place, and all of a sudden the world starts getting washed off of you. Doubts, fears, whatever starts getting washed off of you. Ain't it sweet? I want to challenge you. Some of you got some schedules. You got 
Mommy, you got some little ones. You say, Mama wants to pray. Ain't everybody going to line up, right? They ain't all going to say, okay, Mama, you're going to pray. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be good right now. I'll feed myself. I'll clothe myself this morning. Pray. It ain't easy, is it? Come on, somebody. Somehow. Somehow. Shut the door somewhere. Shut the door in the field. Shut the door in the shed. Shut the door in your bedroom. When I, when I first got saved in my little house, we lived in a little thousand square foot Jim Walter house that had no doors on the bedroom. I would go into my little five by eight, which is about the minimum square footage you could have a bathroom. And I would, I would close the lid on the commode and lay over that commode. Disgusting, I know. And just talk to the Lord. And Aaron, sometimes you get in fear. And I would say this, if I could just go get on the commode. I'm trying to be funny, but I... If I could just get in there, Larry. If I could just hear God talk to me right now, I'd be okay. Anybody in the house? What y'all about to sing? We're leaving out. What are we about to sing? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Let's sing it. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Come on. Just love on him. Don't get all religious. My little grandbabies. I don't know why they don't want to kiss Papa like I want him to. They don't hug me like I want him to. I just want him to kiss me all the time and hug me all the time. And I'm wondering why. Why would they want to kiss me? Look at me. Why would they want to? Some old gray and baldy. I asked one of them the other day. I said, do I just pop all stains? I just wanted to make sure I pop gum in my mouth, refresh doing everything I can not to fit them in any way. So you I hold little Luke in my hands and I, I just kiss all over him. I kiss him all over his face. I kiss him on his ear. I blow his hair. I just kiss him, kiss him. Listen, if you've got Luke after me, you kissing me. I just want to tell you right now. I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say. He just wants you to love on him. Just crawl up in his lap and give him a hug. Tell him you love him and he's good. Don't get in there and act all religious. Thank you, Jesus. He just wants an exchange of love. Everybody understand that today? That's all he wants. Thank you. Petitions will come. It'll come. It has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness. Into glorious life. My life is perfect. But Lord God, you're leading me. Thank you, Lord. You took my place. Laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried. 